Heavenly Father, you know that that I'm broken and weak and and yet you're strong. And you have grace and mercy and and we're all like that, God. Would you speak, Holy Spirit, into the vacuums that are our hearts when we choose not to listen to you? Your word is truth. I pray you'd speak truth into us today that would replace the lies that that we sometimes or or so often believe. Amen. So it's the night before Jesus dies. The Last Supper, Jesus' final teaching, the the last discourse they call it. This is Leonardo da Vinci's um, mural which which depicts the Last Supper. It's it's done on the wall of a dining hall in in a convent in Milan. So it wasn't first a, a painting on a, a canvas. The canvas was the dining hall, like in um my Harry Potter knowledge isn't great, but what's the dining hall at Hogwarts? What's it called? I don't know. The dining hall, there you go. The dining hall of a convent in Milan is painted the Last Supper. And this night with, with the disciples, this night has been intense. It's been significant in many ways. Jesus started um, by washing the feet of his disciples. Then one of the twelve betrayed him and walked out into the night. Jesus began to teach them that they ought to love one another and that the world will, will know him through their love for one another. He taught them that he is the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. He's promised them the, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom he will send them. He spoke about abiding in the vine, making your home in him, that you'll face persecution. The world's going to hate you guys. But you can trust the Spirit. You can take heart, for I have overcome the world. And after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. The Lord prays. This is not the Lord's Prayer where he teaches us to pray. This is the Lord prays. He's praying here for what's to come, for his disciples, for the future disciples. He, he prays what's on his heart. It's a great start. Pray what's on your heart. And Jesus, we see his heart here in so many ways. Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me so I may glorify you. It's this mutual glory-giving, glorifying relationship that the Father and the Son are in, that God is a, a giving God. The Father gives glory this way, the Son gives glory that way. The Father gave the Son authority over all people because God so loves the world. 
He gave the world the Son and the Son the world so that he might give eternal life. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life, as we've, we've seen um, often in this gospel, is not just about quantity but about quality. It's life forever, but even more so, it's life with the eternal God. Eternal life is knowing the one true God. And knowing God, knowing God is not just like knowing God, it's knowing God. You know what I mean, right? Adam knew Eve, Genesis 4 says. Knowing in, in the biblical imagination is, is sexy, it's intimate. Eternal life is knowing God. The one true God and his son whom he sent. And so the work is done, Jesus says. The hour has come. He prays, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This, this sort of looks back to, to the first verse of, of this gospel where in the beginning was the, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus says, it's time to be fully in the Father's presence again. My incarnation work is done. His teaching, his healing, his disciple making is done. The hour has come. It's time for the final song, the finale. The cross, the empty grave, the last 40 days. And so Jesus prays, bring it on. And so after the first five verses, the prayer moves on from Jesus and the Father and it unfurls to include Jesus and his disciples and then all future disciples, everyone who will believe. And of course, this is what Jesus does. His, his pattern is that him and the Father are one. There's this, this union, this intimate um, relationship, and then he reveals and welcomes his disciples into that relationship into that intimate communion. And then his disciples do the same to the next generation and the Jesus community spreads. So in many ways this prayer, it comes before the, the Easter story, the passion um, narrative. And it, it summarises what's gone before in John's whole gospel and also in the, the last discourse, the last sort of four chapters, 13 to 17. And so if you, you look at it, Jesus is praying what's on his heart and he's praying a lot of the themes that have been key to our last few chapters and, and the whole book of John. Jesus prays about their receiving and their responding, that they would be in the world but not of the world. He prays about the relationship between the Father and the Son, the interconnection. He, he prays the gift of revelation, the gift of glory and the gift of the word. He prays for their protection, particularly from the evil one. He prays that they might have the full measure of Jesus' joy. He prays for their sanctification, that, that is their set-apartness, their holiness, that they would grow into that as ambassadors of the Holy One himself. He prays that they would be one as, as we are one, the Father and the Son wrapped up in one, in this mutual giving relationship. And he prays, would disciples be like that too? He prays for their mission in the world, that they would continue his work. He's going back to the Father, and as the Father sent the Son, now the Son 
sends them. And this is actually super cool because the whole movement of Christianity last 2,000 years was shaped and steered and shepherded by these 11 in the room. Like Our faith as Christians in 2019 is not birthed out of a direct download from AD 30 to, to 2019. The faith has, has been a movement and a message that has been passed on. It's spread to Asia, to Australia, to Africa, America, Europe. And it's been spread and sent through sent, scattered servants of God. Spirit-endowed and Spirit-empowered servants. And it began with these 11 in the room and spread like a disease. Now, the kingdom of God is a good disease, right? It's the, those, good blood, those good blood cells that, that bring healing and wholeness. But it's spread like a disease to all over the world. And so Jesus prays for these 11 because these are going to be the, the ambassadors who are going to change the world with the message and movement of Jesus. And then if you look at verse 20, Jesus does this really cool thing. He like breaks the fourth wall. You know when you break the fourth wall, engage with the audience? Jesus prays for us. Like we embrace are in the Bible. Those who will believe. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What Jesus here is praying is for communion, for union, for unity. And there's two um, sort of two relationships and they, they interconnect, they, they come together. So the first union is the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are, are one, right? We have that song, Our God is three in one. And, and people have tried to, to depict the, the Trinity relationship in heaps of different ways. There's, um, there's artistic ways, there's less artistic ways. Um, one way on the left is um, slightly, you know, it's not the most artistic, but that's one symbol that's given um, to it. There's a, there's a more STEM version um, on the other side. It's got labels for it. Um, you know, theologians speak of the, the Trinity's relationship as a dance, a divine dance, perichoresis. However you picture it, picture it, it's interconnected, it's, it's flowing and giving love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that, that continues for eternity, that never had a beginning, it was there before the world began. And it's a community of love, it's a union. It's a community and a union, and community plus union equals communion. It's a communion of mutual love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Jesus prays that we, future believers, would be united to God like that, that we'd be swept up into that relationship, that we'd be engulfed and united into the union of God, into that relationship. And in being united to him, we'd also be united to one another. As humans, we desire connection. Right? We, we want to connect. 
We're wired for connection. We go overseas, we land, what do we do? We, we, we try and get the code for the Wi-Fi, as Drake would say. I need the code for the Wi-Fi so I can connect, find out what's happening back home. You know, think of the word network. It's about The word network has, has social, spatial, um, technological, economic meanings, and all of them have to do with connections. It's all about connectivity. You know, we've got Connect Training Conference, Connect. We're wired for connection. We want to connect. But even deeper than wanting to connect, I believe we long for union, to be one, to be united. Some philosophies um, suggest that we long for union with a parent. We long for union with, with a mother figure. Other philosophies suggest we long for union with a sexual partner. And I think these, these are true. Um, family and sexual and social longings are, are true of human, human ex- experience. And, and they're even, I'd say, God-given longings. They're good longings. They should be celebrated and, and pursued in a healthy way because God puts them in our hearts as signs which point to something greater, something more. A deeper longing, a holy longing, which can only be satisfied by the one true God, our Maker. We were made for connection, for friendship, for union with God. He's our Maker, our parent, our friend, our lover. You know, all the philosophies about what we long for union with, there's biblical language that says God is that. You know, there's biblical language for saying God as friend, God as father, God as lover. It's a whole and holy union. It's a whole and holy longing for union with Christ. You know, until recently, most of the world haven't asked the question, does God exist? It's like a fairly new question in the sweep of history. Most people have, have taken it for granted. Or it's been a sort of, um, you know, universally, not universally, but, but fairly um, well presumed that God exists. And the question on people's lips was, what's God like? Or who is God? And Jesus comes to answer that question. To reveal God, you know, the Word became flesh. He unites Himself to us through participation in our flesh, our humanity and our death. He humbled Himself, took on flesh and, and all the curses of flesh, death in particular. And through His death and resurrection, through forgiveness of sins and reconcili- reconciliation of relationship, He unites us to God. So you are in him and he is in you. It's this language that is, is so central to how the Bible understands what we are and who we are, that we're in Christ and he's in us. It's central to salvation. Jesus and the Father are one. We call that the Trinity. And you are welcomed into that oneness. We call this union with Christ. So Jesus and the Father are one, that's Trinity. You are welcomed into that union, that's union with Christ. And so we are one in Christ. 
That's the community of believers, the family of God, the church. We are one in Christ. And Jesus prays for this. So what does this all mean? What's Jesus' prayer mean for for us today? I want to be not too prescriptive because I think this reality can soak into us and, and give us, the Holy Spirit can give us imagination for what this could look like in our lives and worlds. Right? This reality has implications that you know, we could go on for days and, and the Spirit actually wants to speak into your situation specifically. So I'm not going to be too prescriptive, but I want to speak to three categories broadly. My favourite three categories... Discipleship, community, and mission. So discipleship is that we are one with Christ. Community, we are one with each other. And mission, we are one for the sake of the world. And this is all here in the prayer, particularly in verses 20 to 26. So discipleship first. We are one with Christ. Our life is his life and his life is our life, which means our primary relationship, our first marriage is to Christ. And we need to know that. Like, know it, like we know God. We need to know we are united to Christ. We're living temples. We carry his presence. And so you can follow Jesus because he has already made us his friends. Discipleship in many ways is learning to become who you already are. We are his And so we live into the reality of being in Christ by being disciples. Now, I'm I'm not Chinese, we all know that, but seeing many of us here are, I have an illustration that requires you to put yourself in the situation of, of being Chinese. So if you're born Chinese, right? If you're born Chinese, you are Chinese. You're born that way. But you also learn how to be Chinese as you grow up, right? You begin to live into that identity that is true from birth, but you begin to live into that, to learn it. In reality, you're no more Chinese when you're 20 than when you're 2. It's the same. You're Chinese. But in another way, you do become more and more as you grow up, as you learn to become who you are, as you learn to live into and live out that identity. And so there's no better place to be a disciple. It's the only place you can really be a disciple, to be with Jesus, learn from Jesus and become like Jesus than from being in Christ. We're made for union with him. We're a friend of him and therefore we can follow him. The point of life is eternal life, that we would know God, that we'd have friendship with the one true God. It's the answer to our deepest longings. And so, Jesus is our first marriage. Jesus is our primary relationship. Jesus is our closest friend. He is our true Father God. And so our identity, our joy, our destiny is in him first. I want to read you a little, a little story. I've got it on my Kindle app, so let's see if we can, we can open it. It's a story from a book called The Burden is Lie by John Tyson. He says, I have a friend whose dad repeatedly told her when she was little that she was ugly. 
This curse wounded her deeply at a formative stage in her life and it destroyed her sense of worth. In reality, she is stunningly beautiful. During her college years, she noticed that guys paid disproportionate attention to her compared with her friends and that gave her the sense of worth she craved. As a result, she became promiscuous. Sex gave her a way to medicate that awful feeling she got from believing the lie that she wasn't beautiful. Later in life, she destroyed her career through inappropriate relationships. I'll never forget what she said to explain how her life fell apart. I guess that after all these years, my dad's voice is still the loudest voice in my head. Whose voice is the loudest voice in your head? Whose opinion about you matters most? Whose metrics do you use? Whose priorities do you pursue? You've been united to Christ. You're welcomed into his arms. You're at home with him. Eternal life, the friend of God. But it's not just you. It's us. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he sees him, and he knows her, and he loves them. We are united to Christ. It's us. We are united to each other, therefore. It's why we're called his body, right? We're all part of him together. You can't just have an ear or an eye or an arm or a thigh. We need the full body. You know, you go to gammies, what do you get? The full chicken. You need the full chicken. Jesus wants his full body to be working together in unison. You know, something funny about me is that when I was a little kid, and I think all the footy fans are away today, but there you go. I've told this story to, to Alan. He loved it. When I was a little kid, I memorized all the theme songs of every footy team. Right? I know them all still. The other day I was walking in North Melbourne, I could hear the song go off at the footy ground, I started singing along. North Melbourne, we Premier. Anyway, one of the things you'll find in a lot of the footy songs is that a lot of them have this line, one for all and all for one. And I never knew what that meant, one for all and all for one. Hawthorne have it, I think North Melbourne have it, Brisbane have it. It's in their song, but one for all and all for one is I think what Jesus wants from us. Teamwork. Love. Unity. You know, there's been so much division in the church for for the whole 2,000 years of her history. But Jesus longs for unity. Jesus prays for unity. That we'd be one with him and one with each other. You know, I was... I was at a conference this week and I was, I was talking with, with some well-known um, pastors and I was like, I can learn a, a thing or two from these guys. That'll be, this'll be cool. And, and I did, but I was, I was startled with the fear of, of other kinds of Christians. And Jesus wants us to pursue truth, of course. But he prays that we pursue unity in him as well to lay down our differences and love each other. God's so much bigger than, than we sometimes give him credit for. You know, in heaven, 
there's going to be Pentecostals and Presbyterians eating dinner together. And the dinner will be great. And when Jesus says, pray your kingdom come and will be done on earth as in heaven, he longs that we'd be united more than we are. You know, God's family reaches back across thousands of years, reaches far across the globe, across culture, across race. We ought to love one another, to lay our lives down for each other, to be one with each other. There's so much more that unites us than divides us. And Jesus is the one who unites us. We're united to one another, not socially, primarily, not ideologically, not because we've got similar interests or at similar stages, but because we're in him. We are one. And so we we need to love each other, but we also need to be with each other. We need to be committed to his church and be one with each other because you can't be in Christ without being in his body, the family. You, you can't have Christ without the church. It's a, it's, a, it's a package deal. And so when we're one with him, we're one with one another. And we're part of a community bigger than ourselves. So we might be on a mission bigger than ourselves. Our union and unity with Jesus and his church is not just for us, but for the sake of the world. Our love for each other, Jesus says, will be a witness to the world. Our love, our union with Christ will be a witness to the world. People will see Jesus by seeing you as living temples, places where God resides. When we serve someone, when we love someone, In Jesus' name, they're being loved and served by Jesus. They're meeting him. They're being helped by his hands and feet. The fact that you are in spaces and places that you're in, like all of us, I don't know if any of us are going to bump into each other tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., right? Possibly, but likely we're all going to be in different spaces and places. God's church, his body, is going to spread to 20 different spots in Melbourne tomorrow. What would it look like if Jesus was at your workplace? What would it look like if Jesus was at your university? Tomorrow when you go to to Melbourne Uni or VU or Monash, when you go to to Pegs or Suzanne Corey or MSJ, you're carrying the presence of Jesus into that place. Union with Christ means you are his hands and feet in the world. He's entrusted ordinary people to extend his mission to the world. So we are equipped, empowered and sent. Jesus is one with the Father. He's entrusted us to care for the world and to reach the world and his spirit is our helper. He's praying and he's interceding for us on our behalf. At this conference I was at this week, the, the guest speaker from England told a story 
And it was about um, this group of, of British men who, who were in like a small group. And, and the pastor said to them, asked them the question, what are you good at in the Lord? Like, what are you good at? What are your skills or your gifts? And he said, being English, no one spoke up. So he said, here's a sticky note. Write down what you're good at in the Lord. And everyone wrote it down. He said, well, seeing you've written it down, now you can say it and got them all to share it. And they went around the circle. And, and one guy was, was sort of looking down. He was pretty sheepish. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a policeman. And everyone was like a little bit intrigued. And then he said, and I'm, I'm one of the, the policemen that, that bear arms. And apparently in the UK, most policemen don't have weapons on them, but everyone was more intrigued because he was a special kind. He said, one of my main jobs is protecting the Prime Minister at 10 Baker Street. And everyone was like, whoa, really leaning in. He said, there's a lot of really tough guys on our team. But for some reason, I seem to be good at bringing people back together. And everyone was like, whoa, you have a ministry of reconciliation. In his head, he was just like, I'm, I'm okay at diffusing situations. Um, I somehow, for some reason, help people come back together when there's some argy-bargy going on in the team. But he's being Jesus' hands and feet in his workplace. Jesus is a reconciler, a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. So what are you good at in the Lord? What has Jesus put in you that you might be his hands and feet at your uni, your school, your place of work, your family, your home, your house? We are one with Christ and one with each other for the sake of the world. So may we let Jesus' prayer be true. May his desire for our destiny come to pass. You know, we look at the unity problem in the church and we go, well, not all of Jesus' prayer has, has been answered yet. We're not that united yet. So may we become more and more who we already are in him, united to him, to each other, for the world. May we receive what he achieved and may we live into the reality of what Jesus prayed, that the world would know him through our communion with God and each other. Let's pray.